0: Hi, I'm Janet Mylan, host of The Normally Amazing Show. I like to think I'm like a church bell ringing out, calling the men and women of central Pennsylvania and beyond into the abundant, spirit-filled life. I'm normal. God is amazing. Let's dive in. Don't take the stew. I had dinner with a couple friends the other night, and our discussion was beautiful because we're all just kind of getting to know each other. We bounced back and forth between our jobs, our families, our giftings, and our faith stories. It was really a beautiful time. In the midst of the conversation, one of my friends shared regarding a message she had heard about Jacob and Esau from the story in Genesis 25, chapter 25. The the background of the story is Jacob and Esau are brothers, twins, in fact, and Esau was born before Jacob, and Esau was apparently red and hairy when he was born. For what it's worth, there's some information for you. And the story goes like this. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, so like a soup, a stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Which is interesting because as I just told you, Esau was born as a red hairy baby And he really wanted this red stew. So he had this thing about the color red, which I'm not sure the significance of that, but that's intriguing. So in response to Esau asking for the stew, Jacob says, sell me your birthright now. So Jacob's asking for Esau's birthright. The birthright is basically all of the favor that comes along with being the firstborn son. And you'll see firstborn son, um, the importance of that many times throughout scripture. And so there it was just culturally, that was kind of how it was. The firstborn son had these different points of favor, responsibility, and kind of blessing on their life because of the firstborn son. So Jacob is, is asking Esau for his birthright, for all the favor that comes with being the firstborn son. And I kind of wonder if Jacob was like, saying it like a joke. You know, like you can see two brothers and, and, Esau is there. I'm so hungry. Give me some of your stew. I'm going to die. And Jacob's like, "Yeah, sure. Right. I'll give you my stew. Give me your birthright." Ha ha ha. But then Esau says, "I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me?" So, whether Jacob was serious or not, I have no idea. I probably he was serious and he's not as snarky as I am. But Esau responds with, "Yeah, the birthright is useless to me. I'm so hungry." So Jacob says, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So Jacob sees Esau is starving. Like Esau comes in, I'm going to die. I'm starving. (laughs) Kind of like your kids are starving after school, like they're starving. And I oftentimes when they say, I'm starving, I'll be like, really? Are you you actually starving? You know, are you to the point of death? Is that what you're talking about? Because usually that's not the case. Actually, always it's not the case. Ah, foot cramp. Got to move my leg around. Okay. Regardless of how all of this went down and whether Jacob was being snarky or not and was pleasantly surprised, Esau treated all the favor that he, that would have come his way as the firstborn son for a bowl of red stew. For a bowl of stew. It seems as we read it, we we think, what in the world? Why would you do that? What an idiot. You know, why would you do that? Esau couldn't see the big picture because his craving was so consuming. So keep that in mind. And let's flash back to another story of people choosing their craving over wisdom for the big picture. In Numbers 11, we read this account of the Israelites who they're weary of eating manna. Manna was a supernaturally provided food that God gave them every morning. There were instructions about gathering the manna. Namely, the one that comes to mind now is that they were only allowed to go out every day and gather enough food for their family for that day. And then the next day they would go out and gather enough food for that day. And there's a you know a lot of great symbolism around manna and God providing what you need every day Um, if you want to dive into that more, it's it's pretty cool, but there was one exception. They could gather double the amount the day before the Sabbath because the Sabbath was supposed to be a day of rest. So they had this, this manna that God provided from, what we can tell in scripture, they were able to kind of put it in different forms, make it into cakes, boil it, fry it, all the things. So it could kind of do different, different things with it, but that was what God provided for them. So they were never without food, but some of the people were over it. They were just over the manna this is what it says in Numbers 11. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. Oh, that we had meat to eat. They had a strong craving. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. So take note of that. They remember the fish they ate in Egypt. And they say that cost nothing. They were slaves in Egypt. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic cost them everything. But we remember the fish that we ate and all the other food that cost us nothing. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. This kind of this really reminds me of times when my family members will look in the fridge when it's completely full and say, there's nothing to eat. <laughs> Insert eye roll here. But they're like, our strength's dried up. There's nothing at all but this manna to look at. So that's kind of where it begins. in the beginning of the chapter there, they're just like, man, we, we don't, we want meat. We want meat. We don't, we're tired of manna. We want meat. So a little further on in the chapter, this is what happens. Then a wind from the Lord sprang up and it brought quail from the sea. Quail is a type of bird from the sea and let them fall beside the camp. About a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side. Around the camp and about two cubits above the ground. So literally, they are covered in quail. Like on all sides, there's quail everywhere they look. Meat everywhere as far as they could go. And the people rose all that day and all night and all the next day and gathered the quail. Those who gathered least gathered ten homers, which I'm not sure... What a homer is? I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. I should look that up, but I didn't. So anyway, basically, everybody got tons of quail, even the people who gathered the least amount. And they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. This quail. Listen to this. While the meat was yet between their teeth, before it was even consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Therefore, the name of that place was called Kibroth Hatavah, Because there they buried the people who had the craving. That word, the the name of the place, Kibroth Hatava, probably not saying it correctly, means graves of craving. Do you hear the thunder in the background? Thunderstorm rolling through. Graves of craving. It's a little unnerving to read a passage of scripture about the Lord's anger and then to hear thunder in the background. (laughs) So... This happens, the people complain and the Lord's kind of like, okay, you want meat? I'll give you meat. And he gives them so much meat and they're like just diving into it, just giving into that craving and, you know, gathering it and wildly eating it. And the Lord's like, "This this isn't at all what's supposed to happen here. And whatever you think about God's justice and compassion and all of that, that's not the point of this particular message. The point is... These people had this craving, and it just consumed them. As my friend Dana says, she said they were essentially no longer thankful for the miracle. They were no longer thankful. They didn't. Their eyes didn't see the miracle of the manna in front of them anymore. Their eyes just got really narrow-minded to, to the cravings of what they felt like would make them happy, would make them better. They're actually remembering the food they ate when they were in terrible captivity and slavery and wanting that instead of the miraculous food that God provided. And Esau, he was no longer thankful for his favored position as firstborn son. In each scenario, the people's in-the-moment cravings overtook their ability to think beyond what was right in front of them. Let me say that again. The people's in-the-moment cravings overtook their ability to think beyond what was right in front of them. It's worth asking the question, what bowl of stew are you looking at right now? course that would be kind of funny if some of you were actually eating stew while i'm reading this but while you're listening to it but what bowl of stew are you looking at right now as in what easier thing to digest right now might be attempting to lure you away from god's bigger plan to build rebuild and restore what easier thing to digest right now or more appealing thing that's in front of you right now might be attempting to lure you away from god's bigger plan to build to rebuild, and to restore. Here are some potential bowls of stew some of you might be facing right now. On a very common level, is the temporary, temporary rush from social media luring you away from the life-giving power of spending time in the Word? I think we all, most of us, can relate to that draw. Does the instant relaxation of alcohol lure you away from diving deep into healing from the things that haunt you? Let's get a little more intense here. Does looking at or reading pornographic stories keep you from trying to cultivate true intimacy with your husband? Does the convenience of a mediocre friendship keep you from making the effort to nurture more enriching, life-giving friendships? And I know some of you are battling with this next bowl of stew, and it's a big one. Are you tempted in these days to leave your husband because it seems so much easier than fighting for your marriage. We are really living in a take the stew kind of world. These phrases are all over the place. You do you, follow your heart, be wild, don't let anything hold you back from your dreams. We're just bombarded with take the stew messages and they can do great damage if you're not careful. I wish I had like an easy three-step process of like, this is guaranteed to keep you um, away from the bowls of stew in your life. Just like, you know, Esau was eating the stew, but I really can only only have like two action steps I think are most helpful to me if I'm being truly honest about what I do to help me expose the bowls of stew in my life that I'm tempted to give into instead of working towards what God actually has in mind. And these are the two things. Number one, talk to a friend who isn't a spiritual wuss. Like you need someone who doesn't just believe in God, but believes God can actually redeem and do anything. You need a friend who is like, let's dig our heels in together and believe that God actually is who the Bible says he is. And that everything about God that we read in scripture, that we know about him is true instead of, well, God will understand. God will understand whatever you decide. And And like, I guess there's times for that. But man, if you are looking at some of these bowls of stew I just mentioned, and you have a friend who doesn't have the guts to say, hey, don't eat the bowl of stew. There's something bigger God is doing here. And let's try to find out what it is. You need that kind of a friend to talk to a friend who is not a spiritual wuss. (laughs) Was that too harsh? Yeah, maybe. But it's true. Number two, listen to the Lord. I have spoken with so many women, particularly those who have had to fight tooth and nail for their marriage, who can recall specific times of just knowing the Lord was telling them to just keep going, even though everyone around them was telling them to leave. So one, talk to a friend who isn't a spiritual wuss about your situation. Number two, listen to the Lord. Listen to him with an open heart and an open mind because he doesn't often tell us what our, as scripture says, what our tickling ears want to hear. I guess the main key with not taking the stew is, is this, as I think about it. Don't act from a place where you have to keep justifying your actions. So if you make a decision, you're like, just have this list of like, justifications for why that's okay for you to do and and, and you just feel like you're constantly frantically justifying your actions, you don't want to be in that place. You want, to, you want to act out of faith. Believing God can do anything, even if all you feel like you want is a steaming hot bowl of stew. So don't act from a place where you have to keep justifying everything. You want to act from a place of conviction, a place of faith that what you're doing is what God is leading you to do, not what everyone else is necessarily telling you to do. Don't take The stew.